Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskan. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Friday morning, the 25th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Many thousands of people will come out on the streets in the Raise the Roof demonstration because of the failure of your government to address the absolutely diabolical housing and homelessness uh, crisis. And I do urge everyone to come out this Saturday, 26th November, for the Raise the Roof rally in Parnell Square. We in Labour and indeed across the opposition are supporting. That call to arms from Vanna Backage of uh, the Labour Party and People Before Profits Richard Boyd Barrett ahead of uh, tomorrow's Raise the Roof rally protest over housing. House prices are higher than they've ever been. Social Democrat Catherine Murphy mapped out some of uh, the elements that combine to make housing a crisis in this country, a crisis that we've lived with for over a decade, but continues to go from bad to worse. Rents have never been higher. Homelessness has never been higher. Can't afford to buy, can't afford to rent. It's an all too familiar story. And we're dreading the updated homeless, homelessness figures, which are likely to show another record increase. Men, women and children growing up increasingly in homelessness. The opposition is at one in its assessment of the government's performance. On every metric when it comes to housing, every objective metric, your government is failing and you're failing miserably. Sinn Féin is equally critical. As we speak today, house prices are up, rents are up and very sadly on Friday we will hear again that the rates of homelessness are up. So how, Taoiseach, you try and dodge and evade answering uh, questions by pointing to others as though you weren't Tatishuk. Mary Lou MacDonald. Now, everyone agrees there is a crisis, not just opposition. Both government and opposition say they recognise the scale of the challenge and the importance of finding a solution. So, is the opposition right in its critique of government? Has the government failed? Or is that unfair and just a case of the opposition playing politics with a problem that the government is doing everything possible to tackle. At the launch of Housing for All in September 2021, when I launched it, I made it clear that when I talked about and referenced the whole of government approach, 
Uh, and I said, but, but, and I quote, the fact is that the social emergency that is our housing crisis cannot and, not, and will not be solved by one department on its own. The point being that we have treated this issue as an emergency from day one in terms of the legislation we've passed, the initiatives that have been out, outlined. And a lot of what we're doing already is bearing fruit. Beginning to bear fruit, according to the Taoiseach, but not quick enough, obviously, for the thousands who are expected to participate in tomorrow's rally. From County Meath, 16 trade unions will be represented alone. Let's speak to John Regan, who's the chairman of the Meath Trades Council and SIPTU organiser himself. And a very good morning to you, John, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You actually are calling for a referendum uh, for a right to housing. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, first of all, just can I, I share with people, because uh, while everything has um, been highlighted in your opening there around tomorrow's um, rally uh, in Parnell, starting off in Parnell Square uh, and finishing up on Marion Square with entertainers uh, that have been fully behind this campaign uh, for many, many years, uh, been, uh, been putting their services free to entertain the crowd when they appear there tomorrow. And it is hoped that the uh, rally will be on time, leaving at 1pm and finishing up somewhere around 3 o'clock. That's the hope of the steering committee, Mm. uh, the Congress steering committee that's organised this. Now, just to put things in some context, um, the the situation in Mead, as of March in 2022... Uh, we would have held a campaign uh, locally and informed uh, politicians and councillors uh, in our offices, in uh, SIP2 offices. Uh, the Congress of Trade Unions organised this, organised this, the Meads Trades Council, and as you say, the 16 unions that are involved in that. And the, the stark reality was that was shared with us on that night was that there is homeless in, in Mead. It's Homelessness is not just, as we know, uh, in the cities of Ireland. It is in the towns and villages across this con- this county and many other counties. 186 people were homeless in March 2022. And this excludes state funding emergency accommodation. So people in that area are not included in that. It also in- excludes sleeping rough and people staying with friends or relatives. None of them are part of these figures. Couch surfing. And it, hmm. it is all down to uh, lack of houses and a lack of a home for people. That's what's driving all of this. Yeah. And the agenda that the government uh, is pursuing is not uh, radical enough. Well, we've seen also, record numbers of people homeless in this country. Today, the latest figures are to be published. And as we've been hearing, it's expected they're going to be the worst ever. The highest number of men, women and children who won't be able to look to wherever it is they stay over Christmas and call the place home. Absolutely. And look at Michael again, if, if you don't mind. Mead is what I'm targeting because I believe... Uh, the Mead uh, listeners need to really know this and the reasons why we're calling on them to come out tomorrow in large numbers to support it. Uh, The cost of rent in Mead in March this year was 1,264. That was the average. And on daft.ie at the same time, it was 1,551. Now, in addition to all of that, Mead County Council 
from 2016 to 2021, they only built 32, uh, 332 uh, social houses in that five-year period. So governments that have been around mm. uh, even way before that have completely dropped off on the idea of having local authority bills. Those numbers you give obviously are averages uh, and uh, the situation is much worse for some people than it is for others. Uh, I mean, if you're renting in Kells, uh, that figure probably comes down to maybe 1,200, but you won't get anywhere for less than 2,000 in places like Ashburn or Rototh. Absolutely. It has increased. And all of these figures that that I'm given is just a snapshot of March of this year. It is obviously nothing comes down in this country, even where they've been supported through budgets and through different initiatives that's been taken. Nothing reduces. But what's the point in protesting? If the government sees this as the single biggest priority on its desk and is throwing everything it can possibly throw at it, what's the point in protesting? Why don't you give the government the time it says it needs to solve this problem? In fact, it's saying that the time that it has already spent working on this problem is beginning to bear fruit, as we heard a moment ago. Yeah, look, there is uh, positivity around what they're trying to do, but it's not radical enough. Uh, They have funds, and they said it even when they came out with their budget. They are holding back on funds for the rainy day again come the new year to support families, which is grand and nice and, and acceptable. But the reality is... They now have even a new tax that is going to bring in um, more money into them. But they're not coming out of the traps and saying, we want to, and we're pumping this money into housing. They're talking about it being the worst thing that is ever uh, that they're dealing with. But they're not putting their money where their mouth is. They are talking the talk, and I think you've said it yourself, and I agree with the term that uh, blah, blah, blah has been mentioned by a particular girl. And this is no different. They're doing the very same thing again with the housing problems. The reality is what the trade unions are looking for, and Congress is absolutely driving this agenda, along with all the other uh, uh, political parties that are not in government. It is highly supported by a lot of organisations. What we need by way of a new radical housing programme is investment. We need to get uh, state land because there is no... uh, At a meeting that I was at recently with Mead County Council, because I sit on the housing committee uh, for social partners, and I asked the question, what land bank has Mead got? And the land bank, the answer that I got was zero. Now, how do you build social housing? How do you build anything? through the local authorities and through uh, national funding, when there is no no land. It is crazy, it is wrong, and they are doing nothing about it. As a trade unionist, you represent workers, uh, and uh, we've a relatively new uh, term in our language. Uh, probably is something that we never said 10, 15 years ago, but the working poor. Uh, And there's plenty of people who are considered to be the working poor in this country. And I think that's probably predominantly because of the cost of accommodation, whether you're renting or trying to buy a house and repay the mortgage. Uh, Absolutely. Look, the reality is, and again, uh, it stands up to scrutiny. Housing is, is going through the roof. Young people can't afford to get the money together, because as soon as they get the money together, I can give you an example of my own daughter who lives in my house. We, she saved up 
for many years to get the deposit. She went up and, and she bought or she identified uh, by, the, by the plans of the house, uh, or, uh, made an application that she was interested. Went up to the opening day of the houses um, uh, to the general public and she got an invite. Went into the house and found out from the guy that was uh, obviously uh, showing off the house. Uh, and there were direct employees of the owners that built the house. So this is, this is all uh, a, a contractor that can, has no overheads. They're able to do all, everything from start to finish um, other than pay wages for people. They, we learned at that uh, meeting, and I was along with her, that the house that she had an interest in was €400,000 and it had jumped up to 444,000. 44,000 was jumped on it within a matter of weeks. And they used the argument that it's materials. Yes, materials have, have increased, unfortunately, for um, you know, building uh, uh, products and, and materials. The reality is, did it jump 40,000? There's no explanation as to why it is jumping that kind of figures. And mm. what it's done is, it has knocked them people uh, off the... Uh, ladder and not been able to get back onto that. Okay, let me bring it back you know? though to what is a consensus and everybody agrees uh, what the problem is uh, and the scale of the problem. Uh, do you think that the opposition, because this rally tomorrow is being driven by the opposition, the trade unions and some civic groups, uh, but do you think that because you've aligned yourself with the opposition, that the trade union movement has aligned itself with the opposition political parties in this country, that the opposition could do better than uh, the current administration? Michael, no, I don't think we're lining ourselves up with anybody. We have a campaign uh, and, and the Congress of Trade Unions is, it drives their own agenda. The reality is all the other uh, political parties have come in with us and we will welcome everybody that will support this campaign because this is not just one organisation that's going to crack it and it's not going to be cracked in the short term. The reality is it is now the opposition and the next government will, will obviously have opposition against them as well and there'll be more uh, agendas that will have to be pursued and it is normal uh, and, and always the, the history of this country that the opposition are, uh, you know, supporting different campaigns uh, and making themselves obviously attractable to when the next election comes around. Equally, this government is going to be doing the very same. They're holding on to finances so as that when it comes to be closer to elections, uh, they will launch and clear out the whole um uh, finances and they will leave it very difficult for the next government to come in. That's the practice of this go government and country for many, many years. Okay. There'll be nothing for anybody to be able to drive agendas that they will campaign on when the elections come around. What we're saying is with housing, we need a referendum. We need that straight away to the right to a housing. Everybody should have the right to a house and a home. And that is not currently legally there. We need a change to the Constitution for that to happen. Right, you're asking people to meet with you at one o'clock in Parnell Square tomorrow as part of uh, the Raise uh, the Roof rally protest, uh, which is taking place. As you say, uh, the 16 trade unions in County Meath will be represented tomorrow. I, I, I take it it's going to be a huge turnout, John. Well, look, it should be swelling. Uh, Dublin should be absolutely thronged with people. It's a family day. This is 
bring your children with you. This is an opportunity to really make a statement to this government that they are really doing not enough. And a new radical approach has to come out of all of this. And tomorrow is a great opportunity. Do not leave it. Oh, there'll be enough of people up there and I'll sit at home and I'll see it on the news. That is wasteless. We need to get people on the street. We need to make a huge, huge statement because this is affecting every generation okay. for some time to come. All the kids that are probably not even born today are going to have this problem if we don't start uh, really pressurising every government for the next number of governments that's going to go into place. All right, John, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning on uh, the programme. John Regan is uh, the chairperson of the Meath Trades Councils and he's an organiser for the SIP2 Trade Union. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reid Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. The Northern Ireland Troubles Legacy and Reconciliation Bill, as it's known, had its second reading in uh, the House of Lords on Wednesday of uh, this week. This is the British legislation that will give a de facto amnesty to anyone who committed a crime during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Again, we've said to the British government we don't agree with what they're proposing. Um, There has been discussions between the Minister of Foreign Affairs and his counterpart um, and Secretary of State in respect of that. Um, and um, in, in terms of the British Intergovernmental Conference, um, in my view, it's not on that people should get off scot-free for terrible um, crimes, and that applies to everybody: um, paramilitaries, uh, those involved in the provision of Fein, loyalist paramilitaries. If victims want to pursue an issue, they should be allowed to pursue the issue. Um, and I think we have to put the needs of victims at the centre of the legacy issue. And I've met many of the victims' organisations now, and they're very angry about this agreement. Uh, and I would say that legacy is not just for the British government, um, it's for the Irish government. That's the Taoiseach speaking in uh, the Dáil on Wednesday. Uh, Michal Martin talking about the views of victims. And I think it's clear how victims on this island feel. And across the board, uh, there is opposition to this legislation. Let's speak to somebody who represents many of those victims. Mike Ritchie, Senior Casework Director with the group Relatives for Justice. Good morning to you, Mike, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. The House of Lords heard on Wednesday there will be amendments uh, to this legislation when it goes to committee. Uh, I take it, though, uh, you're not really interested in amendments. You just oppose this legislation outright. Yes, I think tinkering at the edges um, really doesn't uh, cut the mustard with this bill. It really is offensive uh, in all its aspects, and it really needs to needs to be scrapped. I mean, uh, what we what we've been saying is that there was agreement between both governments and all parties um, with the Stormont House Agreement, uh, and that's what we should go back to. Uh, this bill is um, really very very offensive, uh, both to the victims, but also to the. UK government's international human rights obligations, uh, which it seeks to undermine. You have to remember this bill goes back to the dog days of the Johnson government, when that government seemed to be willing to break international law left, right and centre, both with the protocol bill Mm. and then also with this one. Um, And uh, it really uh, represents the worst of the UK government's approach to Northern Ireland. And what do you think uh, the objective of uh, the bill is? Is it to give an amnesty to British soldiers specifically? Well, you see, I mean, I think the important thing to remember is that during the conflict, when um, offences were being committed, uh, 
the authorities did all that they could to try and investigate um, those um, um, actions carried out by paramilitaries, uh, particularly Republican paramilitaries, uh, less so in respect of uh, loyalists where there was collusion um, involved. And I think that the, this legislation represents the first time that there was a possibility of proper investigations into those actions carried out by the British military uh, and by the intelligence services through their through their uh, proxies and the loyalist uh, the loyalist groups. So I think this is the first time that there will be proper the, the prospect of proper investigations, and this is what the British government wants to avoid. They want to avoid their activities, the activities of their agents, being exposed to the to the light. Right, uh, and it's uh, against what is a most unusual situation on this island, which is a consensus. Uh, there is a complete consensus. Uh, uh, all political parties, uh, unionist and nationalist, are opposed to this. All victims' groups are opposed to this. The two church leaders, Archbishop Eamon Martin and Archbishop John McDowell, uh, called for this legislation to be dropped earlier this week. Uh, but the British government is not for listening. Um, that seems to be the case. Um, but uh, And it's also important to mention that the international community um, who are interested in this, these issues are also opposed to this legislation. Um, and as you say, the British government isn't interested in listening. But it's important to remember that there is a ch- there has been a change of tone um, with the protocol. There's, a, there's certainly a change of tone, and perhaps there'll be a, a, a different approach in, in due course. Um, and also it's important to remember that the American uh, government and its cross-party, both Republican and uh, Democrat um, parties, are opposed to this legislation. And to the extent that they're saying that, um, that uh, it could impact on the likelihood of a trade deal, so it's not only the protocol, it's also this legislation that's being opposed in America and it may eventually cause a change of, a change of direction. Mm. That's what we have to hope for. Do you believe if this bill becomes law that anybody would ever be prosecuted and convicted and serve a sentence? Because the government argued in the House of Lords on Wednesday that the Commission for Reconciliation and Information Recovery would be able to conduct criminal investigations if people didn't cooperate with them uh, and if then found guilty, they would serve a full sentence. Yes, I, I, there's two things to say. First of all, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's important that it's, the issue is not the outcome, it's the process. Uh, and what we need to see is in independent investigations. And then if that leads to prosecutions, well and good. If it doesn't, you know, it may not do. But the important thing is it's a proper investigation to seek to find the, the maximum truth. And that's the thing that I think that uh, that's important. It's not so much that people want to see prosecutions of British soldiers. What we need is the information to come out. And I think that's what people are suspicious of. That it's, a, it's an attempt to try and kind of prevent the, the, the information coming out. Mm. Um, but is, the, is that not the opposite of what the British government is arguing? Uh, because I, I think its case is that a, a lot of these crimes are historical at this stage. They go back 40, 50 years in time. Uh, some of those guilty of the crimes or those who could give evidence uh, have passed away or are not capable of giving evidence or standing trial at this stage. So prosecutions are impossible, unlikely if not impossible. But if you go down this route that maybe that information that you're talking about uh, a bit like a, a South African Truth Commission uh, could uh, 
uh, establish uh, what happened and so that people uh, could come together and share those stories? Well, in, in the Belfast court today, we're going to have judgment in the case of Aidan McInespy, who was killed by a British soldier. soldier. And that's a ca- type of case that the British government doesn't want to happen, um, mm. where there will be a court deciding um, on, the qu- on the question of whether um, a, a crime has been committed or not. It's not for, for politicians to decide. It should be for the investigating authorities and then the courts to, to come to that decision. That's the way the rule of law is respected, rather than by politicians deciding. Okay. Mike, we'll leave it there for the moment. I don't think there's anybody listening to the programme this morning, by the way, who would argue with you, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so no, I think, that, well, of course, uh, Irish history tells us that the British yeah. government is well capable of ignoring uh, universal opinion on the on the evidence of Ireland. Yeah, it's a, an argument that needs to be won in Westminster. Uh, Mike, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Mike Ritchie, Senior Case Work Director for the group Relatives for Justice. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Thanks to the listener WhatsApping us, telling us about a house that's for rent locally at €2,500 a month. That's €30,000 a year. Uh, A yearly wage for a lot of people. It's on daft.ie if you want to look. I'm sure that's the truth. Uh, The cost of renting, as many people unfortunately know, to their peril is through the roof. Paddy Duffy in touch with us saying, how many years have we been told that the housing crisis can't be solved? overnight by a certain political party. Well, that party has been in government for over 4,000 nights. So how many more overnights do they need? It's not reasonable to expect that that party uh, has caused and exacerbated uh, the crisis uh, to solve it. Uh, If you've caused it, you can't solve it, is what Paddy is saying. We need an election now, he says. Thanks as always uh, for your message to the programme, Paddy. Now, because of uh, the uh, sexual abuse stories coming from uh, the Spiritans and Blackrock College. Uh, the Dáil debated uh, child sexual uh, abuse yesterday in institutions in this country and it heard some local stories uh, and indeed uh, stories re- related uh, to this part of uh, the world. We're going to hear some of uh, those contributions there, beginning with Sinn Féin's Rio Muraku. I had a man who came into uh, to my office um, in his 60s to speak about the abuse he suffered himself at the hands of the Christian brothers, and an issue that he has probably dealt with from time to time, has put by, has got on with his life, but it's a pain that is always there. And when you're talking with him, and, and, and all we're doing is attempting to signpost him in the correct direction, whether it's in relation to the guards and counselling services, but but the fact is, see, his pain is still the pain of, of the young boy that was abused many years ago. And we have to do whatever we can to give protection to all those people who were put in a situation that they never should have been put in by abusers. And we have to make sure that we don't add pain to the abuse that these people have suffered over many, many years. Labour's Jed Nash told a story that will be familiar to many people listening to this radio station. Minister, the very first time I spoke in this house, I called for justice for the survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of former surgeon Michael Shine. That was 12 years ago, and survivors still await justice. Now, Shine is the most prolific paedophile to have stalked the corridors of an Irish hospital. The number of many abused between the early 1960s and the 1990s is in the hundreds. 
Many of them are friends and constituents of mine. Some are my age. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. Michonne was imprisoned in 2019 for four years for indecent assault and seven boys. He was released early this year. The Court of Appeal has ruled uh, that a separate trial could not proceed due to his age, his health and the historic nature of the allegations before the court. And that Court of Appeal judgment was last year. And last August, the DPP said it would not be pursuing a series of additional cases. This news was utterly devastating for survivors. The Smith Review, commissioned in 2009, was an utter waste of time. It's locked away. It's sealed off from survivors. The justice repeatedly and continuously denied again to men and their families who have suffered enough. Now, Minister, Michael Shine is still alive. He's still alive. His conduct and the system that allowed him to do what he did with impunity needs to be investigated, too, in a formal survivor-led commission of investigation, as should the activities, of course, of the spirits and others. This isn't a new call, Minister. I've said it time and again in this House and in every other forum available to me, but it's a request that should finally be acceded to by this government. Michael Shine's uh, abuse of young boys uh, crossed the border from County Louth, where Jed Nash is based, to County Meath where AIM 2's Padre Tobin is based. And I also want to raise the case, if I can, of the 350 victims and survivors who were sexually abused by Michael Shine between 1964 and 1994, over decades, um, many in, a, in the hospital in Drogheda and not far uh, from myself. I know that many of those are still waiting truth, apology and, ju- and, and justice for the trauma that, that was caused to them. And I believe that we actually cannot exclude victims. And to be honest, I think we're getting to the stage that nobody wants to see such a a revelation happen in three or four or five or ten years' time again. Is it not time that we create a permanent commission of investigation in in the same way that the the WRC is a permanent organisation that has the necessary skills, the necessary staff, that builds up a, a critical mass of competency to be able to deal with these investigations? And isn't it time that we actually investigate everything that happened in all the institutions and all the schools to all victims now, once and for all. Can we not put a full stop over these situations in future and make sure nobody has to come to the same process again? The name Michael Shine is well known in these parts, uh, but Michael Shine is undoubtedly notorious. Here's Independent TD for Galway. Catherine Connolly. It has been mentioned a few times, we've all in receipt of correspondence in relation to Dr. Shine. And again, 350 victims from Dr. Michael Shine alleged, and we have no inquiry into that. I, 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 one could despair, but we really have it, not, not to, alone to stand in solidarity with the victims and the survivors are asking for a statutory inquiry, but to do something and to broaden the discussion out as to what schools produced our leaders, our doctors, our consultants that abused women, refused to listen to them and determined the discourse or the absence of discourse in this stall over all the years. A hundred years of containment 
in institutions eloquently captured by the professor from Boston when he talked of the architecture of containment of men and women, but unfortunately, mostly women. Independent Catherine Connolly, those excerpts uh, taken uh, from a debate uh, that took place in Dáil Éireann yesterday. Now, thanks to Francie, who's been WhatsApping us uh, this morning, saying, what a mad country we live in. We appoint a gambling regulator, uh, but at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any regulation when it comes to housing. And we have a housing crisis, which is driven by a disastrous government who only tried to impress the big boys of Europe, particularly on the refugee front, says Francie. Uh, we're noticing a tone coming through the comments uh, to us, by the way, uh, about refugees. And it really is terribly unfortunate. Uh, and I'd have to ask all of you, uh, if, if you don't mind me asking you, uh, to think about the situation that people are in when they're fleeing war. Uh, think about uh, people, uh, let's say, in their 70s, 80s or 90s, trying to get to the top of a, an apartment block when the lift is out. Or uh, if they're there and there's no water because there's no energy to bring them there. Or if you think about the doctors uh, who operated on a young child yesterday uh, in Kiev with torches because there was no power. This is open heart surgery with torches in a, 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 a hospital theatre. Uh, open heart surgery with, thor- with torches uh, because there's no power. And that's before you get to the death and the destruction. Uh, a newborn baby killed day before yesterday uh, indeed a 17 year old girl killed and the destruction goes on uh, and let's hope that there isn't a, a nuclear disaster we're uh, inviting people into the country uh, and they're coming to the country and I know that the majority of people are welcoming them uh, with open arms so they don't have to live in that situation but we are noticing that some of the people contacting us uh, have a, a very different perspective on all, that, uh, all of that. Uh, but regardless of your perspective, you're welcome to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. So, so Mr McEntee will be finishing up in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be going on maternity leave. Uh, obviously, we're all very keen to support her in that. Um, we've done that before. Um, it's quite a, a short period between when she takes maternity leave and when the uh, cabinet reshuffle occurs. Uh, so we'll appoint a minister to cover for her uh, in that period. Um, but I don't intend it'll be me. Right, that's the Tanisha who doesn't expect to be uh, the temporary caretaker minister for justice. But let's speak to the minister for justice before Helen McEntee takes maternity leave. Good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed uh, for joining morning, us on the programme this morning. Will we find out uh, who will be the next Minister for Justice uh, before the 17th of December? Uh, or do we know that that will be you when you return from, from maternity leave? Uh, and if that is uh, the case, uh, do we know if it will be Heather Humphreys who will mind the shop? Well, unfortunately, Michael, I'm afraid I don't have any of the answers to those questions just yet. Um, as you've heard from your clip, and I suppose as has been made public, Heather will take over from 7 o'clock this evening, 7pm this evening, um, and she will be in that position and will, will take over in the same way that she did previously until the 17th. Um, I'm very conscious, obviously, that there's still a lot of discussions still to be had and, and you know, there's, there's different moving parts where you have a changeover of this kind so it hasn't been made clear to me and I suppose perhaps hasn't been fully decided yet 
who will be in the role of, of Minister for Justice after the 17th. So look, you know, um, obviously, I, everybody I think would like to know at this stage, but that is the that is the way politics works and often it's, it's until the last minute that you're not sure what, what is happening. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy Heather has taken over for the next three weeks. She's been in this role before. She's done an excellent job. She, she knows my team and they know her and she's obviously been able to to, to do her own work as well as this. Um, so I have full confidence that she will do just as good a job in the next three weeks. Okay, and would you like to be the next Minister for Justice? Uh, and uh, can I ask you at the same time, will that be announced definitively on the 17th, uh, whether it is you or somebody else? Well, look, I probably haven't made any secret of the fact that I'd, I'd love to stay where I am. I, I feel there's a huge amount of work that I've I've started and I'd like to see through. And um, it's a department that's, you know, it's a fantastic department. There's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done. But I, I, I would like to return. But in saying that, that is absolutely a matter for the, the leaders um, and I've no doubt that on the 17th yes the, the full cabinet when the Taoiseach now Taoiseach returns from the European Council he'll be going to the Oris uh, he'll come back to the Dáil which will sit on a Saturday um, and they will then obviously announce who the cabinet is and, and they will then be put in place so by the 17th uh, I'm sure we will all know what, what the situation is and I think it's important that we do because obviously you're going into the Christmas week then so it gives people an opportunity to make sure that they know what's coming for the new year that people can plan and, and that they can obviously you know whether we're staying in same departments or whether things are changing and, and that's very possible as well that people have an opportunity and the time to to be able to change or you know you know who knows obviously changes in in in, in governments mean that people can come and go and and that's the nature of politics and I think we all we all accept that as well. Planning your family will be recorded in history you're the first minister ever to have uh, taken maternity leave and uh, this will be the second time for you to do so minister um, when uh, you're on leave uh, this time I take it it will be for a period of six months uh, will it result in a, a pairing arrangement with the opposition or will this impact on government numbers? So my, my understanding is that there will be some arrangement. I'm not, I, I don't think it's been fully worked through. Obviously, the last time uh, a colleague of mine in, in uh, the opposition parties, Holly Kearns, uh, agreed a pair and that was put in place for the six months. Um, we don't have the, the exact same arrangement for now, but my understanding is that some arrangement will be put in place so that there won't be a difference in numbers. Obviously, and look, I mean, I, I'd like to get us to a situation where there can be an official mechanism put in place. Um, and I think, you know, things like that take time. There's legislation being worked on by my colleague, Roger O'Gorman, specifically looking at TDs and how voting arrangements like that would work. But, you know, it's not just for somebody who might be on maternity leave where people are sick. You still have to find a pair, even if they physically can't be in, in work for very, very valid and very real reasons. So it's just important that we get to that stage where, you know, we, we don't have to put kind of ad hoc arrangements in place. We're not quite there yet, but there's a lot of work underway at the moment to to, to hopefully get us to that point. Um, but look, as I said, it, it, it mm. will be covered. It just, um, you know, it's it's not a, a ter- permanent structure or or, or or setting that's put in place yet, but it's been worked on. Okay, what about your constituency work? Uh, have uh, local people lost their local TD for six months? No, they haven't. And, and what I would say is I have a fantastic office and team that work on the ground, that do a huge amount of work in the office. 
uh, that are there to represent me and and uh, you know while I'm taking time off I, you know of course I'm there to 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 still engage and to work with people and um you know while I won't be in my role as the minister for justice that would officially and, and legally have to transfer over um, you know, my, my team will operate the same as it always does in County Meath and, and just to reassure people that that we are, you know, that we are still there and that any concerns that people have, any issues that people have, uh, that the door is still open and, and will continue to be open. OK. Minister, uh, last time you were on uh, maternity leave, uh, as you say, Heather Humphreys, uh, substituted for you in a caretaker role and acted as Minister for Justice as she will from uh, this evening onwards. Uh, last time Minister Humphreys uh, appointed uh, the team for implementing the recommendations of uh, the Gearan report. Uh, I think we certainly had some questions uh, at the time uh, about the prudence of appointing a- an academic when one of uh, the problems uh, involved with uh It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The drugs problem in Drogheda it seems, is schools uh, and schools suspending and expelling young people uh, who end up with nothing to do. Uh, do you think that was a, a prudent move? Uh, and do you think that the appointment of a, an academic and a, a civil servant it, it would have been the route that you would have taken? Well, look, I actually think the team is working really well and I really support um, everyone who has been either appointed or who's working in a paid position or in a, a voluntary position. There's a huge amount of work happening on a voluntary basis here. And really just, you know, while, while our first report was slightly delayed being published, I think even just looking at the ways in which the funding and the direct targeted investment has gone, as so much of it has gone towards education at different levels. As you say, this is not about building our way out of problems. It's not about just infrastructure. It's about putting the resources and the plans in place. And since we'd gone to the, the implementation board, um, we've had a significant amount of investment in everything from our, our community resources. You know, we've spoken about the Red Door project here so many times, but also yeah. additional teachers for some of our primary schools. We've had significant investment, almost half a million euro on our youth diversion projects, who obviously work closely with the schools to try and keep 
students in schools. And then as well as that, our, our Minister for Higher Education has announced uh, at this stage, I'm, I'm not even sure what uh, figure we're at now, but millions into a new training hub, which will open in Drogheda, as well as expanding the Institute of Further Education to develop new types of facilities. So it's everything from primary school to secondary school to making sure that at a later age there are options available for young people. So that's, I mean, that's just some of the ways in which we focused. But also, you know, there's a, a community hub there that's received funding. We've had mm. uh, funding towards our childcare centre. And, you know, we're looking at now where are there other projects that in particular will support the community and younger people and give them give them other options and try and steer them away from what is happening in so many instances where they're like being what? dragged into a, into a life of crime. Like what? Because you promised an awful lot three years ago, Minister, and not much really has uh, transpired uh, as a result of that. Uh, let's talk about the funding. Uh, there was dormant funding promised for Drogheda. Drogheda would be, would be prioritised. Between 2020 and 2021, there was €18 million Euro in dormant funding. Uh, how much of that went to Drogheda? Well, I, I think if you look at the additional funding overall, we have... No, how much of the 18 million went to Drogheda? Uh, I, I don't have an exact breakdown of the, the dormant funding, but I think overall the different departments, it wasn't that it would come directly from just the dormant funds. Yeah. The dormant funds obviously go across quite a number of different counties and areas, but what you'll clearly see is from the Department of Education... Was it a quarter of, of a million? Education, um, I, I don't have the exact figures from the dormant funds in front of was me. Was it half a million? Uh, was it a million? Um, there, there, there was very little that came from the dormant funding um, for Drogheda. What, what I would say is that this is not specifically just dormant funding. So the whole point of this is that it doesn't just come from one account or one fund. And that's what the problem is here, is that so often where you're trying to deal with a problem it's focused on... Oh, well, I remember we were told area. that there would be dormant funding made available, that Drogheda would be prioritised, and I, I do believe uh, that it was significantly less than a million out of 18 million that went to Drogheda. We were also told that money would be given to the Family Addiction Support Network, FASN. Uh, they got a once-off grant of 7,500. Well, again, what we're doing is working with the various different departments... Over three years. That. So what we've done... In the two years that I've started this project, we had to develop the plan. uh, And once the plan was put in place, that's where the funding streams and that's where the resources started coming on stream. How much was spent on the website for the implementation board that nobody has ever looked at, apart from uh, those uh, people uh, who have been putting photographs on the internet of flowers and things that they think are nice uh, in Drogheda with the hashtag Drogheda looking good. That seems to be the big idea attached to solving the drugs problem in Drogheda from that implementation board. Do you know, Michael, I I actually think having spoken to so many of the community and been out there so often, because I I do visit quite a lot when there's various different developments that are happening, Mm. people are very pleased to actually see that progress has been made in terms of the type of projects that they want. So we have a plan with a significant list of actions that people have called for. And in a very short space of time, so in the last year, we have managed to work through quite a significant number of those projects. So while the Dormant Account Fund is one fund and as a Department of Justice, we have given a significant amount of what is our 
split in that funding. Yeah. That Outside of funding that was channeled through the HSE and Angarda Síochána, what did come to Drogheda? Uh, some buses were bought for a couple of uh, groups, uh, but uh, there's been very little else. Uh, there was some money to the Red Door project, 230000 over uh, the two years, uh, but uh, that falls below what Gearan recommended and indeed what was given to the other support group for drugs. So what we have are multi-million euro investments in a new training hub, which will be opening early in the new year in Drogheda. This was announced by Minister Harris. It will provide about 335 or so apprenticeships every year, delivering 20 permanent jobs, which in itself will be good for the area because we're talking about new jobs, but also new opportunities for people. We have development of the new further education through looking at different types of education and different types of routes for people as I said, you have half a million euro has been invested alone in youth diversion projects to make sure that young people stay in school and that they're supported. You have seed money has been put in place to develop the Money More Community Hub facility, which is a starter, but these things, you know, you, you have to have mm. the money to put the plans in place to develop it. You have money invested in local creches. You have, yes, things like buses, but this is actually what people have mm, I mean, the buses are a good thing, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just wondering, where... Uh, is um, the proof that all of the promises made when a 17-year-old boy was killed and mutilated at the end of a couple of years of living under siege in this part of the world where you couldn't drive across the Bridge of Peace without being worried that you'd be shot and killed. Where are all those promises? What has been delivered? I mean, €50,000 has been given to a needle exchange programme. It's lying idle. There's no exchange programme. Why is that the case? I think what people realise and understand and what I heard very clearly from the community is that this is not all about everything happening overnight. So in less than a year, we have announced funding of tens of millions, most of which is going into education, but also other projects that are at a starting phase. So these things can't happen overnight. And yes, there are certain projects that we need more investment in. Outside of the HSE and Garda Síochána, where are these tens of millions? Uh, I've just outlined significant funding that the Department of Higher Education is investing directly in Drogheda again to try and make sure that there are options available to people um, and this is not just about one year like mm. this this isn't three years underway, we were writing a plan, we were bringing the community together, we were putting these actions together and what has happened in less than a year is we have seen announcements of tens of millions specifically for the Drogheda area, mm. some of which we're starting to see on the ground already 400,000 went to the implementation board didn't it? Uh, there's funding that has gone to the implementation board. How much of that was spent on the website? I I don't have a breakdown of what was spent on the website, Michael, I'm afraid. But what I do know is that... Have those people ever spoken publicly? Have those people ever appealed to people in the Drada area to come forward with ideas or thoughts or uh, problems? Well, actually, the board engages with the community on a regular basis, and that's the whole way that this works. So what the community wanted was for continuous engagement. What they wanted was to be listened to. What they wanted was to make sure that whoever were implementing the plans that they had come up with, that they could talk to them and engage with them. So while you might just see pictures on social media of what's actually... I didn't see any. I didn't see any pictures on social media. Is, should I, should, is that what I should be doing, looking at social media to see what's happening to stop young people from going around like zombies in Drogheda and if they fall into debt that their mother's house could be burnt down? 
So what people in the community want is to be communicated with about what's happening. I've just come from Cherry Orchard yesterday morning. Yeah, so why doesn't this implementation board communicate with the community? That's what their job is, I thought. I don't think they'd give them one interview. That's exactly what they do, Michael. They have a very clear presence. They engage with the community. Any event that I've been at, any community event, any time we have been uh, developing any of these projects, they are there, they are available. We have a full-time staff member, Grania, who is doing excellent work linking in with the community. So there's a huge amount of work that's happening. And certainly any time that I'm in the area, any time I'm in Drogheda, any time I'm in the surrounding areas, people are positive and people can see that there's actually actions happening so while it's not going to happen overnight, nobody wanted it to happen overnight. You want to well, I know, I know, I know, Glenda, I, I know, Glenda, and Mo- I know, Glenda and Moneymore isn't positive um, because she's to walk through mud and all sorts of things to bring her children to school, uh, and she got in touch with us to tell us about this and showed us a video of it and it really was pretty disgraceful. When you look at the implementation plan, the progress report uh, and 8.7 of, of that says that Louth County Council was to engage as a matter of urgency with residents of Moneymore and Castle Manor and any other stakeholders as appropriate with a view to closing off the offending gap and taking other measures arising or else finding a mutually acceptable and reasonable resolution to this issue. Three years on, they're walking through the mud in that gap. There was no consultation with any of the residents of Moneymore or Castle Manor. Where is the priority in that, Minister? So again, this is not three years. This is a project that was only announced and launched last year and there has been a huge amount of work done since then. There's still engagement that has to happen because this is not a one-year plan. This is a two, three, four, five-year plan. This is looking at the longer term. And again, the very fact that in Moneymore alone, the one thing the community have said, they want a community hub facility. They want to make sure that they have somewhere that is central, that is focal. Money has been allocated to move yeah. that project along to Minister, get things moving. Minister, do you remember um, that boy was killed in January three years ago and the people of Drogheda uh, came out in their droves and demanded action? Uh, what we're talking about is the response to the people of the town, is it not? Uh, and three years on, uh, that issue... Uh, which was an issue then and has been an issue, uh, I think, for five or ten years, uh, continues to be an issue. Something as simple as that can't be done. It's said to be a priority in this great big uh, plan that the government has published. And it is a priority. And I have uh, I stood on the steps with those people. We came into government again. I made it an absolute priority. It was one of the first things that I did was set out putting in place not just a plan for the area, but that the people would be involved in Mm. the plan. And what's very clear is that the community are working with us. They want to see this done in a way that's sustainable so that it's not just we throw a load of money at something for a year and then disappear. This needs long-term sustainable change. And not everything on the list can be done in the first year. That's never possible with the plan. But this is not a one-year plan. This is a long-term plan. This is something that will require sustained focus and investment. And tens of millions of euro have been committed in the last year alone to Drogheda to make sure that we focus. And the first focus has been on education because it's not just about the built environment. That's really, really important. But it's about the schools. It's about keeping children in schools. It's about deterring them from crime. It's about having other resources for them. It's about making sure that there are other opportunities for those who can't or don't want to go to college, who want to learn a trade or a skill. They have roots out of what is a very difficult situation for them, but that there's also supports and fundings for families. 
and young children and everywhere else. So, you know, I, I'm not, I, I was never of the opinion that we were going to have everything done in the first year. Mm. But this is a commitment that's there, that's funded, that my department is leading, that is supported by Taoiseachs and many other departments. And it will take time for all of these actions to be implemented. But the engagement that I have with the community, with the members who are engaged with the implementation board, they are all saying this is the first time they have seen this type of sustained focus and investment. And it's not everything that they require yet. Yeah. But that most people, most people listening, most people listening, the to. problem ministers, most people listening don't know who those people are. So they are people working in the Red Door. They are people working in the Money More, Chi- Money More Child Care oh, Centre. They are the people working board. in the schools. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the board works directly with the community and you have everyone mm. from members of Angarda Siakana on the board. You have members of local schools on the board. You have the head of the LMETB, Martin O'Brien, mm. who has driven a huge amount of the educational projects on mm. the board. But they are working directly with the community who are part of that as well. And okay. that is the one thing they said they wanted to be part of what was happening. And, and I, I, you know, if, if, if there are issues there and the people are not happy with how the structure is working, I have said always when I meet them, we're happy to change, to amend, to adjust. This is a living, breathing plan. Mm. It's not static. It, it can change as it needs to. But you have to give a plan time to work. You can't just say, well, this hasn't happened yet because... It takes time to implement. All oh, I know. I, I know, Minister, and I know everybody is well-intentioned, but the reality of the situation is uh, that the area is awash with drugs uh, and that has not changed. Uh, some of the gangsters involved are, are dead or in prison or gone uh, overseas running for their lives or whatever the case may be. Uh, but they have been replaced by other drug dealers. There's no change in... in uh, the attraction to drugs, as many people are using them as before, uh, and uh, I, I'm not sure what there has been done to divert people, youngsters, preschoolers, uh, from taking that route uh, and a life of criminality. And I think that is the question that we were asking three, five years ago and before that, uh, and it continues to be the question, Minister. And the only way that you can do that is education. And that's why so much of our initial focus has been on education, but also on working with the Gardaí. The number of guards locally as well has increased significantly. Obviously, the work that they're doing in dealing with those criminal gangs. And there is always a challenge that you remove one and they're replaced with somebody else immediately. But if you can get to the root cause and prevent the younger people from getting involved, then you cut that off at the root. And that is why education is so important. So, yes. Gardaí resources investment in that sense and that has happened and they have been hugely successful in terms of even in terms of prison in terms of identifying those who are responsible here but it's a longer term objective this is not just about getting something done in a year Mm. and I appreciate that people are waiting a long long time for this but I see this as a really positive start I see a lot of investment and I see that continuing over the next few years and that's what people want to know that we're not going to disappear and walk away and say well that's a job done because this is going to be a longer term focus and something as I said I want to come back because I want to make sure that, that work continues. Okay, Minister we leave there for the moment uh, thanks for taking our questions I, I know that they're difficult questions but it is such a, a, an important issue as you know better than anybody for people locally um, uh, and uh, we wish you uh, 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 I'm not sure how you phrase it, uh, but I hope all goes well. But uh, the, the the pregnancy and uh, and uh, best of luck to you and your family. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, Michael. Thank you indeed. That's uh, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who's a Finnegal TD from Mid East. And- 
The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now let's go to our D. Jimmy Crosby is on uh, the line. A very good morning to you, Jimmy. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. You're going to tell us about your mortgage woes and uh, the increases uh, that you've had to face, uh, which are very significant. You're paying an extra 200, more than 200 a, a month or more than uh, 2,500 a year on your mortgage. Uh, you were originally uh, with uh, Permanent TSB, but uh, that loan you had with them was taken over by Pepper Finance. Tell us a, a little bit more. Uh, good morning, Michael. Especially me, I'd thank, like to thank you for uh, helping me to raise this issue. And thank you for your courtesy on your call yesterday. It was very good of you. So in 2015, uh, um, Permanent TSB offered loads of customers to move their uh, standard variable rate mortgage to an LTV, a managed LTV rate, which is loan to value rate. So I took up this offer and it ended up at 4.3%. Right. So it's the value of your house. We'll just say your house was valued at 100000 uh, the LTV would come up at, uh, if you owed 90% of the mortgage, that would come in at a 90% LTV. So as that works, which they explained to me at the time, if your house went up in value, uh, that would bring down your uh, loan-to-value mortgage if, as you were paying it off. Right. So I've n- I never missed a payment with them or anything like that, so I didn't. And in 2000, uh, that was guaranteed by the minister at the time. I think it was Pascal Donoghue. So it was, uh, because in 2018, uh, Permanent TSB wrote to me and told me that they were selling my mortgage to Pepper mm. Finance. But they guaranteed me in writing that the uh, terms and conditions of my mortgage being sold to Pepper at that time would st- always stay the same. Okay, uh, which is a bit of a surprise because, uh, as you explained it to us, uh, you should actually be paying less in your mortgage because uh, the price of property has increased dramatically in the last few years. Yeah, the price of property has increased and I've never missed a payment, so all the payments for the money was coming, so the value, or, so my mortgage should have been coming down, so mm. it should have been. So so anyway, uh, they they done that, and then PEP took over the mortgage in 2019, so they did. Mm. So from word go, I have to be totally honest, Michael, and maybe your listeners might be able to agree with me out there, PEP have, uh, PEP Finance have literally, they literally hounded me with letters saying they were doing this, they were doing that. Uh, in another letter from Permanent TSB, they said they would pig periodically check, um, you know, get you to do a standard financial statement every two to three years. It stated on their letter. Mm. Pepper decided, no, we're going to change that. We want one every year. Right. So that so that was breaking the the, the rules straight away. So it's the day, uh, which I tried to explain to them at the time. I eventually had to go to the uh, financial ombudsman, and uh, the financial ombudsman agreed with me. So he did, and uh, Papa War uh, had to pay an amount of money. Mm. me overall, the phone calls, the letters, constant, constant at you. So that's all right. So we'll move straight on then to uh, 2000, uh, 2019, to, sorry, 2022. Okay. You're, you're uh, still at 4.3% here, are you? Still at 4.3%. Right. Yeah, okay. still at yep. 4.3% yeah. there. Okay. So eventually there in October, I got a letter from Pepper saying that they were increasing the rate to 5.5%. Mm. So I did. So I, I said, well, this couldn't be right. So thanks be to God, I kept my letters from before and I went back and I looked at a letter from the 9th of the 10th, 2015, confirming to me 
from permanent TSB that I was being switched from a standard variable rate to a managed variable loan-to-value rate, which I explained to you there. Mm. So uh, I went to Papa with this and I, made, I had to make a complaint to Papa. And uh, Papa were investigating this. Now I've taken, in, I would in all honesty, I would say I would probably have taken definitely 40 calls from Papa trying to do this and they told me to go uh, will you try and get more paperwork for us telling us that you were on this race and whatever blah blah so yeah. on the 22nd oh sorry the 12th of October 22 I had gone on to, per- to permanent TSB and they said send me a letter dear Mr Crosby I refer to your recent query regarding the above numbered mortgage account I can confirm that the mortgage account was on a managed variable loan-to-value rate right. from the 9th of October 2015 to the sale in on a uh, Pepper in uh, 2019. So it was. So I brought this letter to Pepper's uh, attention, and they turned around and in the final response letter, just before the final response letter came out, if you don't mind me saying, uh, on Monday of this week, I got another letter from Pepper saying that before even the first interest rate that they want to put up uh, has taken into to place, they've said to me, they sent me a letter saying that uh, we're increasing your mortgage rate again to 6.3%. Right. 6, 6.3%. Now, a lot of people will be listening and say, look, mortgage rates have been increasing, but were you locked into that 4.3%? That's what I wanted at the point I was brought to you. I was guaranteed from a permanent TSB that that's where my mortgage would stay for the rest of uh, the term of my mortgage. And that so, meant that the 4.3% would result in, in higher payments uh, if uh, the price of the property dropped and lower payments if the price of the property went up. Yes, that's right. exactly it. That's exactly it. But that, that's the way I locked myself in. Actually, at the time, uh, 4.3% was high because everybody was selling mortgages at 2% and 2.5% or 3%. So I ended up going to 4.3%, which was high at the time, but I said... I, I had difficulties, so that's why I had to get the, the, the do the deal with them, and I done that deal. Mm. And you and your, as far as you were concerned, um, that was secure. There was no need to fix what we were all told to fix because the interest rates were going to go up. There was no because you were locked in at four point three, but now suddenly you're being told it's six and a half percent. Six and a half percent by Papa, but. This is uh, what you're saying there. I, I just want to read you one paragraph, if you don't mind me, yep. from the, the final response letter from uh, Pepper. Whilst Pepper continued to apply a rate of 4.3% to your loan following the, trans- the transfer of your loan, Pepper is not involved in new residential mortgage lending, so it does not o- offer a range of alternative mod- mortgage products that could provide a saving to you. So... Where did I go? Where where was I left out? We were prisoners mm. with with this mortgage. We actually became prisoners with this mortgage. There's nowhere else you can go because if you were in difficulties with your mortgage at the time, and uh, anybody looks at no mortgage lender is going to take you on. So they're not. And uh, it, um, at the time, sorry, I was just trying to just get back to where I was reading. Yeah, no, uh, and I, I, you've sent me on a, a copy of it. They say the terms and conditions of your mortgage don't pr- uh, pri- uh, 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 provide for the movement of this loan-to-value uh, agreement that you had. And they were putting you onto a, a standard variable rate. That's, that's the point I was coming to there. Yeah, Michael, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah, As such, the type applicable to your loan transfer uh, loan to, since transfer to Papa is moved to a standard variable rate. Right, and that's a, a different 
type of mortgage agreement. Anybody on a standard variable rate was told before the interest rates start to go up, fix because you're going to suffer otherwise. You didn't need to because you weren't on a standard variable rate. Now you're told you are. Yes. Pepper have decided. Pepper, uh, like I said, yeah, permanent TSB in writing guaranteed me that I would be entitled to the, to the same terms and conditions as I was with them when they sold it on to Pepper. It wasn't going to change. Pepper, from the day they got, they bought the mortgage, they have been making all these changes and now this massive change which they've brought to people. They have said, no, we decided we're not going to give you a loan to value anymore. We're just going to put you on a standard variable rate. That's what they have done. And that's what they're trying to do. And this was guaranteed that this wouldn't happen. Right. And there's many people like you, according to reports this week in the Irish Independent and indeed in the Irish Times, we contacted Pepper Financer ourselves. Yes, they asked them for a statement in relation to this. We haven't heard back from them as yet. But you've uh, explained the situation pretty vividly to us. Uh, you believe there's other people uh, who are in this situation, I think, Jimmy, but they may not be uh, aware uh, uh, that uh, they had an agreement that uh, this shouldn't have happened uh, and you wanted to come on to highlight that for them today. Yeah, I would actually call on anybody, anybody whose loan was transferred, mortgage loan was transferred to Pepper. I would urge them to lift that phone to Pepper and the first thing do, make an official complaint with them and get each individual case uh, investigate into because there's loads of people out there only I was lucky Michael mm. that I keep my paperwork that I happen to just go back through my paperwork and then I come, out, come across this letter which I read to you there yep. on, from the 9th of the and day. you've sent us copies of all of the letters you've quoted from uh, this morning as well Jimmy uh, uh, and uh, you make your case very well as I say we haven't heard back from Pepper Finances yet if we do uh, we'll uh, uh, be happy uh, to relay that to everybody, uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, you'll have uh, raised some eyebrows with some people listening to us uh, this morning. Jimmy, thank you indeed uh, for making contact uh, and uh, thanks for joining us on the show this morning as well. If I just wouldn't mind saying, yeah. just before you go, yeah. Michael, if I yeah. could call on any solicitor or anybody out there who might be listening to this who might be able to help us people that's out there, give yourself a shout, get in contact with us get a group of us together that we can actually stop Pepper from what they're doing because it's not right. People are going to, people are working through a cost of living crisis. This is going to push an awful, which I said to you on the phone mm. yesterday, mm. this is actually going to push an awful lot of people over the edge that there might yeah. there could be serious consequences of this. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like again, I'd like to thank you for taking the call and highlighting this uh, issue for me. Okay, Jimmy, thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us, as I say. Thank you very much uh, for the call, Jimmy Crosby. You're going to be hearing a, a lot about violence against women and girls over the next 16 days uh, because uh, the UN 16 Days of Activism begins uh, today against gender-based violence and the theme this year is to end violence against women and girls. And t- today uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about this campaign we're joined by two women in Drogheda, Margaret Garrity, who's a member of the Drogheda Seroptimist Club, and Noreen Coughlin, who is the development officer with Louth Local Development. And a very good morning to both of you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, the theme of this is to end violence against women and girls. Margaret, uh, could I, I start with yourself? Uh, maybe tell us a, a little bit, if you would, uh, about what it is to be a seroptimist uh, because
because uh, this is a, a, a club that you have in Drogheda, but it's part of a global organisation, isn't it, uh, which advocates for human rights and gender equality. That's right, Michael. Um, Soroptimus, we're an international organisation and we're the leading women's organisation with close to 80,000 members in more than 3,000 clubs in over 100 countries. And Soroptimus used their global voice calling for better access and education mm. and leadership for women and girls. Okay. So we try to transform their lives through education. We do it both locally, nationally and globally. And is the branch in Drogheda made up of women? The Soroptimus are all women okay. and the Drogheda branch, we have 23 members at the moment. Mm. We meet regularly and um, we work locally as well as nationally and internationally. Okay, hence your interest in the 16 Days campaign. Tell us a, a little bit more uh, about what to expect over the course of the next 16 days. Well, of course, as you've mentioned, um, the 16-day campaign starts today, the 25th of November, and that marks the United Nations International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women and Gender-Based Violence. And it ends on the 10th of December, which is Human Rights Day. So the 16 days of activism raises awareness about violence against girls and women and all human. It's a human rights issue, Mm. focusing on the importance of grassroots work on violence against women, as well as providing an international platform for advocacy and campaigning. Very good. No. This has started. This started in 1991, and it was started by activists at an inaugural Women's Global Leadership Institute, and it continues to be coordinated each year by the Centre for Women's Global Leadership at the UN. Mm. So it is used as an organising strategy by individuals and organisations around the world mm. to call for the prevention and the elimination of this violence against women and girls and gender-based violence. Yeah, and here we are 30, 40 years on and uh, the problem continues uh, to be as widespread, not just here, but uh, across uh, the world. And it, the world, yeah, yeah. it is a, a problem that is particular to women. Noreen, um, uh, where, where, where do you come from in terms of the 16 Days campaign as uh, somebody with uh, Louth Local Development? Okay, so... And Margaret is actually also a member of our SICAP network of services for older people. And back in 2020, we, we were in a lockdown. Margaret brought our attention to the 16-day campaign. So what we did then is we were aware that the guards had just released a report saying that there was an increase of 18% of um, domestic violence due to the lockdowns and COVID. So at that time, we did an online event. We had a Garda speaking at it, and we were also aware of the new legislation around coercive control. So we had the manager from Drogheda Women's and Children's Refuge talking to people about that. Mm. And then last year, what we hoped to do, um, we realised this was broader than elder abuse. So in 2021, we looked at expanding it, and we had, again, we tried to have a face-to-face um event in the Monster Voice, but actually this time last year we had to flip it again online because of the Omicron variant. So we're very excited that now we can actually have events face-to-face this year. Yeah. What we decided at the beginning of the year, that this was for us 
bigger than just a 16-day campaign. We wanted this to be a 365-day campaign. Mm. And you probably recall the tragic murder in February of the teacher, Ashling Murphy. Yeah, Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm. People wanted a community response, so they approached Mm. the partnership. And we basically then, we brought services together, local community groups, statutory organisations, that includes the Community Gardaí, and family resource services, addiction services, so a very broad range of services. And we realised that this conversation had to expand beyond the 16-day campaign. So we also have representation from the Men's Aid and from the North East um, Rape Crisis Centre. And we'd be delighted, I believe you will be also uh, provide them with some interviews later on to highlight the very valuable services they and the women's refuge. Yeah, which are unfortunately so necessary. And uh, I remember vividly the murder of Ashley Murphy and uh, how angry the people of uh, this country were uh, and uh, more to the point how angry all of the women in Ireland were uh, following on from that uh, because it was not the first and it won't be the last uh, and there was greater attention and focus on violence uh, against women in this country around the time of uh, the death of Ashling uh, and the inexplicable action of a, a man once a- again. Uh, but these incidents come and go, um, which is a terrible thing to say, but it, it is uh, the cold reality of it, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, the the other important thing, though, I think at the time is that a lot of men wanted to be part of that conversation. And they a lot of and men also want to be mm. part of the solution, and um, so I suppose we have decided to call ourselves. We came up with a name called Breaking the Taboo, and the idea there is that we believe that it's important that we come together as a community to shine a light and raise awareness. And the more we talk, post, and share, we erode the stigma of gender-based violence, sexual and domestic violence. Mm. So what are, we are asking people today is to. Like, share and tag 16 friends with the hashtag Orange the World um, or simply wear something orange today just to show your support. So we, we really hope to see people on the steps of St. Peter's Church on West Street today. You'll see us with our orange umbrellas and our orange outfits and, you know, hopefully, you know, this will explain a bit of what we're about. But there are 16 days of this campaign. Yeah. A lot of our two public events will be today, our launch. But also we'd like to make people aware that um, the public are invited to the Barbican Centre to for a Whitmore, or sorry, the Whitmore dance is happening in the Barbican Centre this Sunday on the 25th of November. Mm. Um, and if you're interested, please contact um, Declan Power at the Barbican and the telephone number is 041-980-7416. Okay, if people want to join you uh, at St Peter's today, what time is that at? Oh, thank you. That's today at one o'clock. Okay, one o'clock today and to wear orange, obviously, uh, to uh, symbolise the 16 days. Uh, Margaret, breaking the taboo uh, certainly seems like an appropriate uh, theme uh, because there's always been a taboo uh, around what they used to describe as she walks into doors and that sort of thing. And it's something that uh, seems to impact on every woman uh, to some degree, uh, young and old for that matter. That's correct. Yes. And um, one of the ways, uh, knowing and mentioned we'll be on the steps of St. Peter's, one of the ways we'll be there today is we will all be in orange. And people might ask, well, why do we wear orange? So the colour orange symbolises a brighter future, free of violence. And it also serves as a means of demonstrating solidarity in eliminating all forms of violence. Mm. 
Therefore, it is used as a colour of the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. And also on the steps today, people will see some shoes. And you might ask, why is there a shoe? Well, this year, Sir Optimus throughout Ireland, including Drogheda, we're working with our local communities to highlight this UN Orange the World campaign. So we're doing this by placing orange shoes in the windows of shops and businesses for the campaign's duration with a simple message to women. You are not alone. And we've also created posters and information cards with the same message, highlighting, you know, women's aids. The women's aid free phone is one of the numbers. But we will also have cards which have been prepared by Breaking the Taboo with local emergency numbers on them as well. So these will be distributed by Theroptimus throughout the town after our launch today. Okay, listen, I have to leave there, but thank you both indeed uh, for joining us on the programme, a community coming together uh, to tackle gender-based violence in line with uh, this UN initiative around uh, the world over the next 16 days. Margaret Geraghty is uh, the chairperson of uh, Drogheda's Seroptimists, and we were also speaking to Noreen Cochlin, the development officer with Louth Local Development. That's our programme for this week. Uh, We will see you for our next programme God willing, on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. 